So if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a passage that we know real well, but I would like for us to start with it today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, begin reading with me in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since... and Boy, I love to read that to people. And uh, this is in follow-up counseling. You see, because what happens, they leave and they go back out into this foolish world and they start thinking, well, you know, that's not so bad. Eh, wrong, wrong answer. It is that bad. And not only that, it's going to get worse. So, uh, the, the God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And verse 30, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who because of us, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, by way of introduction, as we think about uh, how the cross answers our question, uh, once we are saved, uh, there's there's still a, a struggle going on. But why does it take us so long to get better? A Presbyterian minister a number of years ago wrote a book, uh, uh, Dr. Lane Adams, and I recommend this book. Uh, I don't know if you can find a copy of it today, but probably one in some library. Lane Adams' book is, If I'm a Christian, Why Is It Taking Me So Long to Get Better? (laughs) And uh, it really is a a good book. And he was in World War II, and he emphasized how... Uh, our ally, I mean, how the how we fought the war in the Pacific on the islands, all the various islands, and he was one of these guys that would take the beaches, and he said they they they, they send in the artillery and pound the pound the beach, then they'd send in the Marines, and then and they'd get a foothold on the island, and and yet they had air superiority, and then they would send in the army, the Marines would withdraw, they'd send in the army to do the mopping up exercise. And it's really neat. That's where he gets the idea is that the, the, the Holy Spirit, the Marine, came, comes in and, and convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And, and then we're sealed with the Holy Spirit uh, to, to then, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do the mopping up exercise in our life. Now, it doesn't fit totally into what we're doing, but it's, it's a good picture. Is that once we're saved, I think we are instantaneously, we can be free in Christ. But then it takes some mopping up exercise uh, in, our, in our lives. But a lot of people struggle with that. And so a lot of people get tired because if they do not know that they have the victory, 
they're not working to get victory, that in Christ they're working from victory. That's what I tell people. Well, Pastor, I'm doing the best I can. Well, that's not good enough. <laughs> you better get uh, turn loose and let Jesus be Jesus in your life. But how to be free from the bondage of sin and self is still one of the great questions in the Christian faith and walk. Why? Because freedom, true freedom in Christ, to a lot of people, even though it's uh, uh, theologically, they understand it theologically and everything, it still seems impossible. Why? Because most people have never experienced true victory in Jesus Christ. What I mean by that? To be at rest. To be at rest in Christ. Well, that's a wonderful place to be. Most people do not believe it's reality. So as counselors and ministers, we need to give them that hope. We have a dear young lady in our church, and, and not too long ago she said, Oh, Pastor, she said, Man, I wish I... I wish... You know, I, I look at your life and, and you're having victory. I wish I had victory like you. I said, well, you do. She said, well, no, I don't have victory like you do. And I, th I said, I thought you had Jesus. <laughs> well, I, you, know, you know I have Jesus. And I said, well, I know that. That's why you have the same victory I do. But we're talking about experiential, ex experiencing that. And I said, here you are in your late 20s and I'm 61. I said, aren't you glad you can look ahead and see the Charles Solomons and others and ahead of us, or you know, and then I'm this much ahead of you, that there is some victory. I'd hate to look ahead and, and realize, man, it's going to be defeat the rest of the way. <laughs> That's not a fun thing. And so, uh, there, but most people believe it's impossible. And we have to be, remember, Watchman Nee says we're to become so salty that we make other people thirsty. And so, you just cannot teach this. Matter of fact, you know, we don't need any more teachers. See, I can teach you further than I've gone. But I can't lead you any further than I've gone. We need more leaders. The church is in dire need of leaders. People who can stand up like the Apostle Paul and say, you have trouble following Christ, follow me. And that's pretty brazen, isn't it? But Paul knew that if you followed him, that one day you'd look out around him and you'd see Jesus. Well, that's what we need. We need people who not only know this, but they're experiencing this. Do, do you have days uh, or moments of defeat? Sure. I start to go to the far country, but now I've asked the Lord to show that to me. Show me the dryness. Show me the pain and the hurt. Show me the lack of fellowship out there. Oh, we can go. You're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to lose... You're going to lose the joy. And you're going to lose the joy of holiness and righteousness. And uh, so it doesn't take you long to start thinking, I don't want to go there. You know, you know let's don't go there and, uh, and, to, and to walk in victory. But people need to see this, this hope. Now, let's look and see how the cross answers some of our questions about the truth of the exchange life. First of all, but can our death with Christ be made real to us in one moment? Yes. It certainly can. Uh, the, 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 the moment I'll never forget, after all the studying I, I did for nine years, and then I went to Denver, Colorado, and it was on uh, a Friday noon, and Chuck Solomon was sitting up on a stool and then overhead overlays. He doesn't remember this, but how he had some way he overlaid on that line diagram, he, uh, Adam and then Christ and everything. And I sat there, and after nine years, I, I looked, 
And then an instantaneous moment, I saw how I was at the cross with Jesus, that I died with Him, I was buried with Him, and I was raised up to walk a brand new life. I had been placed from Adam into Christ. I saw it. I thought my heart was going to come through my chest. I was 40 years old when I really saw it. Man, I was glad it was the noon break. I got out, and it was already mile high <laughs> in the oxygen, and I was walking around. They had a big counseling center, and I was walking around that block, and my heart was beating, and I thought, oh, Lord, don't, don't let me have a heart attack right now. I mean, this is too good, you know, but it was one of those moments where, Lord, stay your hand just for a moment, and uh, I said, man, God, if, uh, if this is true, then everything has changed. And I'll never forget, I slid down beside my bed that night in the home in which I was staying. And I said, God, man, I tell you, I fought long enough. I tell you, old Stony Shaw gives up. You see, I've been raised on a farm. See, that past identity is so important. And you can do it, son. And I remember that we would want to quit plowing and Dad would say, boy, still light out. <laughs> you didn't quit until the sun went down. You started before the sun came up and you didn't quit. So I, I, I type myself, I'm like an old hound dog. I can bite into something and hold on till Jesus comes. That's the way I made it through seminary. It wasn't smart. I was just diligent. And just hanging, hanging on. But in one sense, that can be a problem when you haven't turned loose of everything you're trying to hold on to and let Jesus be Jesus in your life. So yes, in an instantaneous moment, I think you can see your identity in Christ. Now, then... As I say, I don't know sometimes when counseling ends and discipleship begins. And so then discipleship, uh, you know, follows that. In our church, we had a young lady that came to us. Uh, I'll call her name Martha. But uh, she had been through two of the major Christian counseling ministries in America. And uh, $35,000 in insurance money. And she came to St. Louis, and my, a friend of mine, a, a psychiatrist, had diagnosed her that she would have to come to him three times a week for the rest of her life. She had been physically abused, sexually abused by her brother and cousin. I mean, there was so much demonic activity in, in, in that life. And here she had been taken through the paces of all the symptomatic stuff, and she was just beaten down. She had heard of our ministry. She came. And so, uh, uh, because she couldn't afford to go to a psychiatrist three times a week, she was just going to him once a week and then had a recovery group. You've got to be careful of recovery groups. Most people get addicted to recovery. And they never get out of it. That's their security. That Instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, some people say, well, you know, I'm just a recovering alcoholic. You know, that's a lie. If you're a child of God, that's who you are. I love when schizophrenic, I deal with, uh, when I've dealt with a few schizophrenic, and they say, people, they come proudly with their names on. ODS, ADD, schizophrenic. And I always ask, do you believe that? Oh, well, I've been, I've been clinically diagnosed. And I said, well, that's a lie. No, 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 you don't understand. I've been clinically diagnosed as this. I know, I know. That's the way, that's the names that the world gives things so they can handle it and give medication. But if you're born again and in Christ, then you are not a homosexual. You're not a schizophrenic. You're a child of God. 
with all the rights and privileges thereof. They got a wrong kind of identity. Sometimes they're proud of their identity. It gives them an excuse to do and be and act out all the craziness. This is not me. This is my buddy here. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to make fun, but uh, this, this gal, she was in bad shape. So in her third session, now this isn't uh, of us, it's, of, it's all of God. In her third session, we'd gone through the wheel in line and she was fighting this thing and she was a banger. You know what I mean? She banged on things. And she was uh, a single lady. And, uh, but the third session she came, and I had tables sort of like this, a little wider uh, that, that for my counseling area. And she said, Pastor, if this is true, and, and I believe it is, then everything has changed. And in a twinkling of an eye, this gal passed from darkness into light. Now, uh, the next year because of all the demonic activity in her life. Did we have to go back in one night? My wife and another lady went in and stayed about all night with her because she'd have visitations from the, from the dark side. And she'd cut herself or bang herself and this kind of thing. But now this gal uh, has her own apartment, has her own jobs, a healthy member of society and, and, uh, and, and, and discipling others. So there can be instantaneous, we can be set free. Now listen, the cross is a one-time historical event. That's true. But it's followed by a daily, moment-by-moment moment, yielding to the cross for death to self and then life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ crucified. And so uh, we, it can be realized in a moment. We have to give people this hope. For example, if Christ be in you, then there's no demands placed upon your life today that's not placed upon Christ who lives within you. And all things are possible. All right? It, uh, uh, secondly, can self rise again? We'll, we'll pick up speed here on these. Can the south, I mean, uh, uh, can the self rise again? Well, I do have it. I said, being from the south, I always heard, you know, save your Dixie cups, the south will rise again. Well, it didn't, but self can. <laughs> uh, remember, you died to sin. Sin didn't die. That really helped me when I came to understand that. But I died to sin. Remember Galatians 6.14. The Apostle Paul says, he says, I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. Uh, after we have seen our death with Christ, there probably will arise fresh manifestation of the self. Now why? Because God's in the process of cleaning you and I up. And so don't be surprised if... You know, if you're walking along one day and you step on one board and it flies up and hits you in the face. You know, why? Well, it's, it's God wants to do something in your life. For example, why does Jesus say, get in your closet? Well, when you and I start getting serious with God and we come to that moment of saying absolute surrender to God, then you're ready for the cross, you go to the cross, then, you know, what happens is, is the Lord Jesus then says that you come to me and you spend time with me and you get locked up to God and God gets locked into you. Then what takes place, that deep scoop shovel of God digs down and says, Stoney, you see that? That's been bothering me since the day you came. Let's get rid of that. Well, if, what, if he, what if he just wanted to do it all at one time? Now, instantaneously in your spirit... You, you, the image is restored. But then the likeness and the conformity to Christ is going to take place on a day-by-day -day basis through the mind, will, and emotion. 
Have you ever just been uh, sitting somewhere and all of a sudden you you realized you've you've, you've uh, uh, taken your mind out of gear and, and you're just spinning? Your your soul, mind, will, and emotions are just spinning. Why is that? Now, one of two reasons: either Satan is getting ready to throw a fiery dart, and God knows that. It's not going to be a surprise from God because he has the devil on a tether. And Satan can only go to the distance that he wants him to go and he will not take our life, uh, just like in Job. Uh, uh, and, and so what God is doing, he is trying to lift up some of that old garbage so you can say, you smell that? Why don't we get rid of that? Attitude to your wife, Stoney. You have not been speaking to her correctly. Why don't we bubble that out? You know this, uh, the, the beautiful illustration of the old goldsmiths. They would put uh, gold into the furnace or into the thing and they'd heat it up and the dross, the impurities of the, of the, out of the gold would rise to the top. And then he would get a, a smooth stick and he would scrape the top off. I remember my dad used to do that in making syrup. You know, that boils up and you take it and you skim the top. And everything. Well, a goldsmith does that, and he boils it, gets it hotter and hotter, more impurities well up, and he wipes off the impurities. And you know how he can tell when the gold is ready. He sees his reflection in the gold. Folks, that's what God's trying to do to us. It's so he can see himself in you. Not you. You can see that he can see himself. And so sometimes the adversary may imitate self to make us lose our faith that we are crucified with Christ. That is, makes us feel like we have not been crucified with Christ. We need to remember that temptation does not equal the desire. Just because you're tempted in an area doesn't mean that that is your desire. Temptation does not equal the desire. For example, uh, you'd be surprised the number of people that you ask, uh, if, if, you're, if you're tempted, uh, does that mean you sinned? No. You only, if you yield to the temptation, because Jesus was tempted in every way as you and I, but He did not sin. So temptation does not equal the desire. And But so many people I've seen defeated because they say, well, you know, I just couldn't help it. And I was there counseling a young man one time out of pornography. And boy, he was making great headway. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, I used to wonder, John, why do we get phone calls early in the morning? Well, that's when the devil's at work. <laughs> He doesn't work sometimes during the broad open daylight. And this guy was in tears. He was in a phone booth and he was calling me. And so I'm not a good waker-upper. And so after a while, you know, who is this, you know? And finally, it was old Dan. And so I, I say, Dan, 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 where, man, where, where are you? He said, well, I'm down here on 4th Street. Well, in Birmingham, Alabama at the time, 4th Street is where all the peep shows were. And I said, what are you doing down there? He said, well, I came back to see if I was cured. Now, was that, a, was that something right out of the pit of hell? Of course it was. I said, I said you know, uh, later on, I said, Dan, that's like going into the lion's den, sticking your head in the mouth of the lion, see if he'll bite you. <laughs> I said, look, I said, I, command, I, dem, I said to Satan, I come against you. And I said, Dan, if I want you here at my house in 10 minutes. He made it in five. <laughs> the phone was just dangling in the, in the phone booth. And uh, so called him out of that you know how we're set free can you then enjoy sin can you go back to it no you can't and so it's an important to see that it's the world the flesh and the devil trying to draw draw us away 
Also remember that just as you couldn't handle your sins before Christ, neither can you handle them now that you are saved. Then thirdly, what are we to do when this happens? Well, we're to stand upon the Word of the living God. We're to stand upon the living God. What is the fact? That is sin. That's a lie. That's no longer true of you. I give people one phone call from one week to the next in counseling. And usually that's all it takes. And I could give you story after story of people who will call. And you know where they get mixed up? They start feeling that this is no longer true of them. But listen, your daily condition can never touch your position. Your daily condition can never affect your true identity. If you yield to how you feel, of course, it's going to affect, uh, you know, your, your daily condition. I love this little uh, thing. Robbie has this on a poster, and I, it's, uh, the author is unknown. It says, it is written, it's proof enough. It is written, it is proof enough. It is finished, it is provision enough. It is I, it is presence enough. Isn't that great? It's His presence. I have been crucified with Christ. His death is mine. Uh, so the, and, and so we stand upon the Word of God. Secondly, you need to hand over every trace of self. Every trace of self. That's why if, we don't, if you don't know what sin so easily besets you, then you'll be led astray many, many times. So you hand over every trace of self, real or apparent, to the Holy Spirit for Him to deal with and refuse to have anything to do with it. If we do not do this, then you're not serious about getting better. I had to tell this to a man the other day. I've said this to several men through the years. I said, you know, when you first came, I thought you had a gold ring right through your nose. And uh, usually men don't want to give up. And I said, you know, you've got a ring right through your nose. And the world, the flesh, and the devil, you've got all these flesh hooks into you. And they can just yank on these and you're bent out of shape, uh, whatever. And... Uh, but I said, you know, you've changed since you've come. And he kind of sat there, oh, you know, like, that's good. I said, now I realize you've got a gold ring right through your brain. And uh, he didn't like that too much. Well, he said, are you being derogatory? And I said, no, I'm just being real. I said, I don't think you're serious. What do you mean I don't, you don't think I'm serious? I said, because you enjoy your sin. No, I don't. I don't want to do that. Then why are you doing it? Let me tell you, folks, we, we can't let people get off with this idea that I can't help it or I'm a victim. We've all been victimized by sin. But now in Christ Jesus, we're more than conquerors. And then, and then thirdly, what w should we do when this happens is believe that God does deliver right now. Okay, I'm not saying you can't be tempted. Uh, we all are, uh, and, and, we're, and we're in a tough place. But can Jesus Christ deliver you right now? We must believe that in the face of all appearances to the contrary and that we can hide in Christ on the cross from the enemy, counting upon the shelter, the, the shelter of the blood of Calvary. For you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 3. Number four, does fellowship, does fellowship with the death of Christ mean no feelings? No. <laughs> We are still. We still have feelings. We're emotive people. Uh, God created us this way: mind, will, and emotions. However, the emotions should come at the end. You and I can never let emotions rule the day. As I 
upset a little bit yesterday. But you'll be, but all of us, uh, eight, at least eight out of ten of your friends, they all live by how they feel instead of what is true. Uh, I, I love giving this uh, illustration. My wife doesn't remember it. Isn't it amazing what the wife remembers? I don't remember. But what I remember, she doesn't remember. But one day, we had, we'd, we'd had a spat, and I'd gone to work, and, and uh, we hadn't called each other all day, and it just kills me when that happens. I, uh, I've gone to church in the morning when we used to have two services, and my heart wouldn't be right with her, even with my, with my kids. And I'd have to call them back and say, look, I need to ask you to forgive me. No, Dad, it's okay. You know, I don't know how guys get in the pulpit. I don't know how people teach if they're not at peace, peace with God. But anyway, I came home, and as, as usual, the kids came, and, and I hugged them and everything, and I said, oh, yeah, now, now go, you know, always go and spend time with Mom to see who's grounded, what, you know, whatever, and, uh, and get a glass of tea and sit down with her. But I'm mad. And so, uh, so they do, and I was wondering why Robbie wasn't there. She usually comes to the front door. <clears throat> and so I walked in. I was in the den, and I saw her in the kitchen, and she was at the sink washing potatoes. And so she couldn't hear me come in, the, 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 uh, the water running. And so I stood there in the den, and I said, You know, doggone it, Lord, I gave in last time. And the Lord said, Well, where's that written? <laughs> said, Stony, Stony, love your wife. Oh, man, Lord, you don't know what it's like to live with that woman. This is a true story. And I said, and he said, Yeah, but I know what it's like to live with you. And I, I knew, you know, I knew I was, I was going to have to do it. So anyway, I walked in, and I walked across the... Uh, so so if, if I stood there and waited until I felt like going over to her, <clears throat> how long would I have waited? A long time. So I walk over, and I grab her, and she jumps, but I hold her tight. And she said, and so I said, Honey, I'm sorry. This is silly. I was stupid. You know, please forgive me. I, I was just wrong. And she looks up at me, and she says, I know. Oh, <laughs> I said, I know, honey, I'm, I'm trying here. I'm trying here, you know. And I said, I'm wrong. Will you please forgive me? Well, then she spun around in my arms. You ladies know what she was doing. She was seeing if I was serious. See, those guys are good. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. I won't do that again. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but when she realized I was really serious, she turned around. She said, oh, no, it's my fault, too. I'm so stubborn. No, honey. Look, honey, I'm trying to be the one guilty here, you know. And so then you get in a fight to see who was wrong. You know how that goes. <clears throat> now, what happened? Fellowship was restored. Feelings, emotions, tenderness, intimacy was restored. But if we try to live out of that, you'll be defeated every time. And so it's extremely important for us to see that it doesn't mean that we don't have feelings in the, anymore. The Lord has not promised to turn us into stone. He's not promised. He didn't turn us into, into robots. When we're in union with Christ in His death, we are delivered from selfishness and sensitivity. Now, th that is, uh, you know, your, your feelings on your sleeves. But when you understand and walk in the exchange life, you're even more sensitive than you ever were before. And, and you will have tenderness. You will have uh, feelings and emotions. Remember, our emotions are like the red light on the dashboard of our lives, warning us that we're about to meet our needs and hurts our way if we react instead of respond. 
Our feelings are like the red light on the dashboard of your life. Eh, eh. Feelings are neither good nor bad. It's what you do with them. And so you're going to emote. And our emotions is an opportunity to say, wait, I'm going to do this right. I am not going to run after how I feel. I'm going to let my emotions lead me to the, you know, to the foot of the cross. Then, if we died, how can we be tempted? Now, that's a good one, isn't it? If Christ suffered being tempted and was tempted in all points like as we are, we shall not cease to be tempted because sin didn't die. We died to sin. So sin is going to keep coming after you, but you say, wait a minute, I died to that. I died to that. You now are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and you can be holy. As I said yesterday, and I love that, and I love using it. God didn't send us the happy spirit to make us happy. <laughs> he sent you the Holy Spirit to make you holy. For God's sake, be holy. Make the, make the right decision on the facts uh, of, God's, of God's grace. You see, in 1 Peter 4.1 is a good reference. <clears throat> 1 Peter 4.1 says, Those who have suffered in the flesh have done with sin. Isn't that true? You think about that. When you and I suffer in the flesh, oh, the flesh wants it. The flesh wants to go that way. But I say, no, no, no. Now, if you just sit there and say, oh, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, where's your focus? Your focus is on sin. You've got to break that environment. You've got to break your thought patterns. That's not of God. You're to bring every thought. Uh, I deal with a lot of men in, in, in uh, men, men's thought life and, and sight life and, and, and everything. And if you don't, uh, Neil Anderson talks about it as about threshold living. If you ever let it get across the threshold into your life, you're done. You're, you're done. <clears throat> and so we have to immediately say, that's not who I am. With, is there a part of me? Yes, the flesh. The flesh would like that. But the spirit resists that. It says in 2 Corinthians 10... 4 through 6, bring every thought captive to Christ Jesus. How do you do that? Is what does God think about this? You start to have a bad thought or a bad feeling towards someone, you say, what does God think about this? What will Jesus do? Jesus would do the most loving thing. And why is the Holy Spirit allowing this to happen right now? <clears throat> to draw me closer to God. <clears throat> I cannot handle, I could not handle my sins before I was saved. I cannot handle my sins now that I'm saved. It was Jesus, Jesus, and it will be Jesus. And if I don't yield to Him moment by moment, then I will walk after the flesh. Galatians 2.20 gives the secret. I am crucified. Christ lives in me. I, the selfish I, is nailed to the cross. Me, the personal me, remains to be tempted and tried. And my soul and my personality, my mind, will, and emotions... You see, once we're born again, we can never be unborn. And because of that, then we will still be tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you noticed that a lot of secular people don't get tempted as much as you? Well, the devil doesn't have to. <laughs> he already has them. If you're tempted a lot, you must be doing something right. What is the devil trying to do? Knock you out of commission. Once you and I have truly been born again and we've been taken out of darkness and placed into light, taken out of death and placed into life, then what's the, what's the devil's next ploy to make you and I ineffective? Matter of fact, the devil will hold a ladder for you 
to climb up on the shelf for God. He'll make a peace treaty with you. And He'll leave you alone. Don't ever do that. You're going to miss being conformed into the likeness of Christ. I have a number of people who said, you know, Pastor, you know, uh, we're going to leave it to the younger people. Our churches are going to die because of that. When you get this color hair, you might have something to say. <laughs> the older is to teach the younger. And we're finding that in our church, in, in intergenerational cell groups, is that young people don't want to just be with young people. Now, they, if they want to go to a hockey game and go, you know, do something like that together, go out in a boat or whatever, that's fine. But they love to get with the older. They like the cross-pollination, you see. And the, young, the older people enjoy that too. And then they learn they have something to say uh, to the younger. But it's important for us to, to realize that we will still be tempted because Satan wants to defeat us. Here's a good verse, John 10.10. 10. We know it well as God He gave, came to not only give us life, but give us life more abundantly. But the first part of that verse says, The thief breaks in to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And how does he do that? He breaks in and he kills you by taking your joy. And then he steals your hope, and then he can defeat you. If joy and hope is gone, you're you're dunner, <laughs> and, and you'll be defeated. What about dying daily? What about dying daily? If we look at the context of the, this passage uh, where this phrase, phrase occurs, it's 1 Corinthians 15.31. 1 Corinthians 15.31. You will see that it relates to Paul's exposure of his physical life to hazardous con uh, conditions continually, on a continual basis. You know, Paul, everybody says, oh, I'd like to be like the Apostle Paul. Be careful. <laughs> Paul did not have a heyday. You know, we, we forget that. He was shipwrecked, stoned, bitten by snakes, spit upon, hounded by the Judaizers every, every mile he went. Uh, but it does not seem to refer to his spiritual death at this point. But a better reference for this is 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.10, where, where we read this, always bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus, and this describes the crucified life. You see, when the Spirit of God brings us daily into deeper conformity to the death of the Lord, and which follows our that is our understanding of our death in Christ according to the Word of God, then we allow Jesus to be Himself in our life. So, in, verse, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 10, 11, and 12, it's very important. It says, We daily carry around in our bodies the death of Christ so that the life of Christ might be revealed in these mortal bodies. Then verse 12 is left out most of the time in most people's quotes. But the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, death in us, life in you. If you and I don't come and die, we can never give life. If I didn't die, I would give you stoning. And you don't need stoning. You've got enough of yourself. <laughs> See? So, in a so you and I must come and die. Now, just think with me real quick on this. Is that that day that Jesus was up on the cross and the spiritual leaders came out and they said, you know, if you're the Son of God, come down off that cross. Well, you and I, you and I know the easiest thing in the world was for Jesus to come down off that cross. Now, I don't know if it had been I don't know, you, you or me, and I had that kind of power in my flesh, I'd say, well, let me, guys, let, let me show you something, guys, you know. But, you know, what if Jesus had come down off the cross? 
you and I would still be dead in our sins and trespasses. What kept Jesus on the cross? Love. Love kept Him on the cross. Jesus died and He gave us life. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground, it remaineth alone. But if it fall into the ground and die, it brings forth much fruit. You and I must always come and die so that we might let His life flow through. My biggest problem as a counselor and exhorter is trying to tell people too many things that I think instead of letting Jesus, you know, come and die and let Jesus tell them what, what, what they need. Okay? Then, number, number seven, if I fall into sin after taking the place of death, what then? Well, this is the most critical point of all. Above all things, we must be honest with God and call sin, sin. I, I cannot recommend that enough. We need to be able to call even a white sin or a little bit of sin or whatever it is, but it's sin. You know, people say, well, it's, but their sin's worse than my sin. No, on this plane, on a time, space, matter continuum, there are things that appear to be worse, but they're not to God. Sin is sin. You know, I used to have college students and and they would, uh, you go into their room and counsel with them or witness to them, and they'd have all the girly magazines. I said, guys, you cannot have this in here. Oh, Stoney, don't be a prude. You know, uh, you know, we can handle this. And I said, well, first of all, you're lying. Well, then back then they said well, it was some of the best literature, contemporary literature being written. And they said, well, we we get it for the for the reading content. And I said, well, why don't you go over to the library and get the library edition without pictures? You could do that at the time. Well, you know, that wasn't their problem. Their problem, they were lying. Any man that tells me that he can look at those kind of magazines, look at those kind of movies, and be a man of God is lying straight through his teeth. He's matter of fact, he's wrapped up in deceit and deception, and he is a defeated man. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I travel by, by plane, uh, I always go to Walgreens and buy my certs and stuff like that because in a lot of... Uh, a, a lot of places at airports now you go in there and magazines are spread everywhere let me tell you I don't want to even consider that make no provisions for the flesh but the, the, the idea is we need to call sin sin never attempting to cover it up or to reconcile our failure with our past experience 1 John 1 9 is always needed and we confess our sins we must really retake our place crucified with Christ and so uh if we fall into sin, a lot of people think, oh boy, I'm defeated. No, what you need to do is to recognize I've sinned, I've blown it, I can't handle this. Oh God, I cannot. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. And my focus is back on the Lord. Remember in Philippians 3, verses 11, 12, and 13, very, very great verses. I have it on that stair-step diagram. It's extremely important for the Apostle Paul says this. Brethren, I haven't attained it yet. But this one thing I do. Forget that which lies behind. I keep my eye on the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Now, boy, you, you read that. It'll jump out to you after a while. The Apostle Paul, he did many things. But he said this one thing I do. Forgetting that which lies behind. You know what most Christians do? They sin or they get caught up in it again. And what do they do? They turn around and they, Woe is me. Oh, Lord, I did it again. You know, and it's like the Lord says, Give it up. 
Everybody, sometimes people like to kind of enjoy the fact that they failed and it gives them, well, I'm only human. Well, first of all, that's a lie. If you're a born-again believer, you're a child of God. And so the Apostle Paul says, you've got to do it real quick. This one thing I do, forget, the, forget it. Now, does that mean we're to be flippant about our, about our sins? Not at all. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. But God, I know I can handle it. And immediately I get my eye back on the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Father, what did you think about that? That was pretty stupid, wasn't it? I'm not stupid, but my sin was. I'm sorry. I know Jesus paid for that. I want to get my focus back on you. And I just start worshiping. The best time to praise God is right after you've sinned. Have you ever thought of that? But most people do not. Oh, woe is me. I've sinned. Broken fellowship. And they're wallow. They're like a dog going back and wallowing around in the yard, uh, the, the stinky stuff in the yard. Oh, I don't really want to do this, but it feels good. <laughs> it's amazing. Bitterness, greed, or immorality gives Satan ground. If you are not familiar with some good work on strongholds, I recommend uh, Bill Gothard. He has some excellent stuff on strongholds. And uh, he really believes that our problems m move down uh, from a surface problem to a surface cause and right on down. And that he believes there's three basic things. Uh, the symptoms are all up here, all kind of uh, symptomatic things. But he really believes that bitterness, greed, and immorality is at the base. That in every situation, bitterness, greed, or, or covetousness, or whatever it is, is at the base. Now, why is that? Because people have resisted the grace of God. People who resist the grace of God is going to have roots of bitterness, moral impurity, or covetousness in their life. It's, I can guarantee it every time. Uh, and, and so what happens is you resist the grace of God. What, what's the next step? You look to your natural inclination. And I love what Bill Gothard says. He says, think, what is your natural inclination? And do just the opposite. Uh, yes, uh, in his institute, uh, you have to get it from him. Uh, I think you have to go to some of his conferences. But uh, it, it's excellent material on Stronghold. No, he has a whole counseling book. John, are you familiar with all of his Effective Biblical Counseling. I think you can order that from him and all that's in there. Effective Biblical Counseling. Now, the, the, the neat thing about that is it talks about if you and I yield to any false idea... Well, that's any sin or whatever. We start to believe a lie, and Satan can then, we give him ground in our life. Uh, boy, this is such an important topic, but maybe another time we could deal with it. I think John's wanted to deal with that too in the seminars, is the stronghold idea. Because a lot of people are defeated by strongholds. They pray the prayer and all like that, but if they never deal with the strongholds, they're always going to be being pulled down. But when you and I uh, yield to any of that, then what happens is we give God ground. And on that ground, then He can he comes and builds strongholds from which He sends tormentors. The tormentors of depression, anxiety, and guilt, and, 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 and those kind of things. Now, what do we do? We buy that ground back. How do you buy that ground back? By specifically, out loud, and I believe you need to, you need to do it out loud, say, Father... I want to buy back any ground that I've given the evil one in my life, in my home. And you ought to cleanse your home. 
that's a that's a whole other whole other subject. But we give up ground so we can take ground back by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can tear down strongholds with truth. We can transform our mind with truth, and we can live the victorious uh, Christian life. And so, there's confess your sins, buy back the ground, and and uh, and then walk in victory. What about growth? Well, it is only as we apprehend our union with Christ in His death, according to Romans six, that there can be real growth in grace. For it is His divine life. In Romans 6, 4, it says that you and I have died and now we've been buried with Christ and we've been raised up to walk in newness of life. Now, what life is that? It's the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Newness of life. It's His life. So let me give you, and it's on the stair-step uh, uh, diagram again, it's this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you want to grow in Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, Now with unveiled faces. See, the veil, as John talked about in the temple, the veil has been rent. You and I don't have to work just from the body and soul perspective. We can walk into the very holy of holies, into the very throne room of God, and say, Abba, Father. And it says, Now as we look unto Him as unto a mirror, we will be changed in one degree of His glory to the next. The way I understand doxa there, it's the idea of God's character. The glory of God. Shekinah. Shekinah glory. Now, He doesn't share that with anybody. He reflects that through your life. You, you and I can't hold on to that. Remember what Moses did. He had the Shekinah glory. It was so bright and all. And then it started to wane and he, he, he put a veil over himself. You and I, the way we become like Jesus is to keep looking unto Jesus. I'm not what I was. I'm not what I will be. But this I know that... I'm going to be like him. Now we got just about ten minutes, I think, isn't it? Or 
Oh. Okay. Let me, we'll just start this. Uh, first of all, I, I know I said it at the beginning, but I appreciate uh, John him giving me uh, some new opportunities to share. Some, some warnings about the life of the cross. We will not be able to deal with all of those, but you have all of those in your, in your notebook uh, there next. And so uh, let me, we'll just touch on a few of them, and then we'll let you go. They're trimming trees, and we need to move some cars. So we're just going to take about five minutes here, and then we'll break real quick. Some of you need to move your cars. We don't know which. So everybody can get to go out and look. And you don't want them to trim your car. You'd rather them to trim the trees. Number one there is beware of what, what is a warning? Beware of testifying I am dead. <clears throat> if, you, if you do that too many times, you're drawing attention to ourselves, and it is I in a subtle form. We have died to sin. You know, now internally, sometimes I got to remind myself I'm dead. I'm dead, Stony. That you, you're, I'm not dead, but I'm. I've died. I've died to that. Uh, we may speak of the Lord and all that He is, but it is for Him to bear witness to what He has done for us. Too many people try to talk about it instead of in, in, incorporate it into their life that other people see it. Uh, one of the most powerful things in the world is when people around you start recognizing that you've changed. You don't get as upset anymore. You have a sweeter spirit. It's not me, it's Jesus. You see? He's squeezing, squeezing the junk out of me. So I think we have to be careful about it. Let us welcome also every criticism, kind and unkind, so that we may learn to know ourselves and seek deeper deliverance. What happens when someone criticizes you? Now, it should be different than before you came to Christ. Now, I like the concept, do not reject your critics, let your critics refine you. It'll transform the way you look at people. What's our first idea if someone criticizes us? Defense. That's the worst thing you can do. There could be some truth. I used to allow my staff, uh, when I had a large, in the larger church, and now I don't have a staff, it's just robbing me, but I had five on staff, and I let the staff come in once a year and tell me any blind spot that they saw in my life. Now, they didn't have a right to go out and broadcast that to the church, but uh, I wanted them to come in and show me any blind spot. Because, you see, if I'm not doing what's right, I want someone to tell me. Wouldn't you feel that way? Now, if we're not, if we're not doing that, then guess what? We're resistant to the will of God in our life. Because God is going to use other people, good or bad, kind or, or, or tender, to conform us into the likeness of Christ. And so here again, if you react to what they say instead of respond to what they say, then guess what? You are agreeing with them. Uh, one time our son there, uh, he, was, uh, he came marching into the house. It was a Saturday. He'd been playing. Boy, he was mad. And he was... He came in and I watched him and I said, Son, what's the matter? And he said, Well, Tommy called me an SOB. And I said, Well, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, I'm going into my room, get a baseball bat and go out and hit him in the head. Boy, that's one of those teachable moments, you know. And so you go, Well, son, are you an SOB? And he said, Well, no. I said, I didn't think so either. Your mother's right there in the kitchen, you know. 
And uh, and he said, uh, I said, if you go into your room and get a bat and go out and hit Tommy in the head, then you're agreeing with him. And he said, well, then I'm not going to do it. So he walked back out the front door. So I ran over. <laughs> you know, it's one of those moments as a parent, you know, did it take and everything. And and you, we learned so much from children. And he walked out on the stoop, our front door, it was on Meadowbrook Lane, Lakeland, Florida. And he looked at Tommy and he goes, he said, my daddy said I was not. He said, Tommy said, okay, let's go play at my house. All right. And they went running, running off. <laughs> but what do most people do? They take that and say, well, you what? You said that about me? You see, we've got to be careful that we don't react, but we respond to those things. And so beware of dogmatizing over spiritual truth. Let God bear witness, and then we need never assert anything about ourselves. Let's try one more, then we'll break. Never, this is so important, never seek experiences but the one who can give them. We live in a very charismatic age. Now, I believe in, 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 in charisma. It's in the Bible. It is the grace gift of God into our lives. Now, I know there's many different interpretations to that. But you and I cannot live on experience. We need to rest in the hands of God for Him to do as He pleases, leading us in any path that He may choose. And so we need to look to Him who gives the gift, who gives the experience, and do not look to the experience. And so, so many people are caught up into that and they want to feel good, they want to experience something. Well, look, never want to experience anything that God doesn't give you. Stay close to Jesus. Let me tell you, folks, that's the exciting life. Experiences fade. In Psalm 103, verse 7, powerful verse, the psalmist says there that God showed His ways unto Moses and He showed His acts unto the children of Israel. Now, I'm not going to ask you to vote, but which would you rather have? Which would, would you rather see the mighty acts of God or would you rather know the ways of God? In the Hebrew, the, w the word way means mind. Would you rather to know the mind of God or just see mighty acts of God? I'd rather, see the, I'd rather know the mind of God. Remember in Jesus' day, there was people who saw withered hands made whole. Some believed and some went into the temple and plotted his death. You see, Acts, the children, if you, live on, if you, if you just live on experiences and, 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 and wanting to see the mighty acts of God, then remember what Jesus said, Blessed are those who do not see these things and yet believe. We're living in a day and age of people getting caught up in wanting to see the miraculous and seeing the indwelling power of God transform lives and make giants out of us, out of us common, uh, ordinary people. We have, this, we have this power in earthen vessels to show the transcendent power of God, not just to get people excited about experiences. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Continue to teach us how the cross answers all of our questions and then to take the warnings of the cross seriously. And, Father, that we would give you all the grace and that, Father, that uh, we just praise you for teaching us these truths that we might be the people of God on mission. Continue to guide us this day <clears throat> as we learn of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we better go and 